2: It's straight out of Cobham—a show about Chelsea FC from the Athletic. On this episode, Blues suffer beasting sting at the Bridge. Protest against the Ricketts family. We look ahead to the Champions League. Round up the rest of the Chelsea news. Basically, as ever, there's loads going on in the world of CFC. Available for free wherever you get your podcasts, and ad-free on the Athletic. This is straight out of Cobham. What a weekend day. Eh? Never a dull moment in the world of Chelsea FC. It's me, Matt Davis Adams, back with you after a brief break. Many thanks to Liam for holding the fort in my absence. Alongside me today are the Athletics Chelsea writer Simon Johnson. Hello. Hello. And Mr. Jack of all trades, so long as they pertain to football uh, and not quizzes, Dominic Fifield. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, early dig. Yes, yes, yes. Hello. Nice to see you, Matt. Welcome back.
2: Thank you. Uh, we're going to get to the Brentford debacle shortly, but first, let's get the latest on the takeover and the protests outside Stamford Bridge on Saturday. <laughs> Uh, Listener, if you're an Athletic subscriber, you'll have been devouring the big profiles on the prospective new owners of Chelsea. Dom's given us the lowdown on Harrison Blitzer. Simon's teamed up with Matt Slater to study Stephen Pagliuca. Simon also took the lead on the Burley bid. Burley? Bowley? How are we calling him these days? Burley? Beely? Todd? Todd, Todd. Bit yeah, Todd's let's sprinting. go with Todd. <laughs> but despite that, it's the offer from the Ricketts family which has drawn the most opprobrium from Blues fans. Simon, tell us about these protests before Saturday's game. They, they were relatively small in number but pretty vociferous.
3: Yeah, um, I mean, I, I, I rocked up sort of when it was due to start, which is 12 midday. It was very much a, a social media, Twitter-led call to protest and there was probably, it probably maxed out about a 100 fans, um, many of which had sort of banners or, or sort of written signs. Um, the police turned up, there was about sort of 20 police, 20 to 30 police turned up at the start of it. And I thought, oh, you know, police are going to try and shut this down or they're worried about it getting out of control. And I asked one of them. I said, "So, so you know, are you worried about this?" He went, "No, we're just we're just worried about them getting on the on the Fulham Road." <laughs> so, and I think that in a way, sort of summed up the protest really, without being too critical of the protest. Um, you know, because fair play to to those that did show up um, to express their views. You know, they they're willing to not just say on on Twitter that they and and in for example any polls that are being put out there by for example the Chelsea Supporters Trust they're willing to vote with their feet as well and 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 sort of say their piece but it was not a european super league kind of protest the, the kind of protest that's going to make people sit up and 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 take note now maybe there'll be other protests to come um who knows head of real madrid for example but as i sort of joked on on twitter you know Petr Cech, don't worry you don't need to come out today it like, was it was it was very calm- cool calm and, and in fairness they actually in one of the chats with the police said we're we're not here to cause any trouble, you know we, we just want to make our point and and you know they they did it pretty well, they sang songs, not all against the Rickets there was some classic Chelsea chants in there to to show that they were obviously looking forward to a game at that point um but uh but yeah i I wouldn't say that it it made a massive point if you're the Ricketts family. And you tuned in thinking, fearing the worst, you'd probably come away thinking that a lot of the protest against them at the moment is is quite a lot of hot air on, on Twitter and, and online. And it's not going to put you off from going ahead with what what they're planning.
2: That's interesting because, Dom, I was going to say, it being an event that happened on planet Earth, Gary Neville's had his say. And he kind of intimated that if you were the Ricketts family, you'd be looking at this thinking, is this worth the hassle that's going to come with us taking over maybe we should back off do, do you think that it will have any impact on them at all I mean and I guess the other question is how do the government view this how is it how does rain view it is this just a, a fly in the ointment that can easily be removed or, or is there a chance that, that this is a bit more serious and, and will actually affect things
1: well the reality is we don't know the answers to those questions because it's it's not a particularly transparent process, really. I suspect that um, if rain, look at the proposal, the financial proposal, and, and the pledges that the Ricketts group are making with their various backers, and they have appear to have brought in more backers in the the last few days as well, and they deem that that is the the best bid on paper and the best bid that can take Chelsea forward with the big numbers um, then I don't think the online protests and the hundred or so outside Stanford bridge at the Brentford game are going to dissuade them to um, to pursue that option to be honest I suspect that for all this is it's very difficult for the PR on the Ricketts bid to actually work on this to actually for, for them to completely silence all the concerns out there um and and drown it all even with eight point plans etc i mean it's 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 almost impossible to do that however i suspect that they will still be confident that they can they can persuade an investment bank in new york that they are the best option available to chelsea and that once they're in place and once they have secured the club they would then be able to work almost from the inside of the club to 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 promote you know what what they want to do and 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 turn around public opinion on that but it, we have to be slightly careful because this whole process all four of these bids think that they've got a really good chance of getting this all four of them believe that they have the best bid on the table um all four of them will be making this points to to rain and then if they get the chance to, to 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 make them to the government as well in the in the future this next 10 days um well actually more two weeks there's going to be an awful lot of hot air around all this. We're going to hear an awful lot of pledges, we're going to hear an awful lot of backbiting as well. We're all going to hear we're going to hear an awful lot of of um you know bids, for the want of a better word, slagging off the other ones, quite frankly. And and it's it's gonna be played out in public on, on that stage, but actually the actual decision-making process is all hidden away from us. We don't we don't know what Rain are actually doing and and what Chelsea's hierarchy are actually doing although i suppose i suppose the last week or so has suggested that there may be some within the hierarchy that that might favor the Ricketts bid
2: yeah speaking of of hot hair this this eight point plan that that dom alludes to that (laughs) the Ricketts group released as a statement believing you know after consultation with with the chelsea supporters trust etc that basic things like not changing the colour of the kit, all, all stuff designed to get supporters on side. I'm interested though, Simon, as to why they've been so kind of front and centre compared to the other bidders. Is is that a deliberate ploy on the Ricketts family's part or is that just an inevitable consequence of, of the backlash that that's come against them and that they felt that they've had to respond to it?
3: I, I think it's more the latter um, because they've been the, the the focus of all the the angst. None of the other bidders, including ones before the the shortlist was 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 announced, have, have come under the same scrutiny, criticism, anger. So I think you know, inevitably, they're they're trying to pitch their case to to try and explain to um, the Chelsea fans where they're coming from. If anything, kind of almost touching on what Don was saying there there isn't an awful lot to gain f- for them to do this in that the people they have to convince are Rain and, and, and Chelsea and, you know, obviously past the fit and proper person test if they were to get it, et cetera, et cetera. So for me, I think it's an indication of perhaps not just trying to win over fans for the bidding process, but winning over the fans in case they win the bid. Because the last thing they want you would suspect is that when they take over the club, that this sort of poisonous atmosphere continues. Um, It's going to be a, I think it's going to be an ongoing thing if they do win the bid, but in some ways, whilst it's an obvious PR move, I I actually sort of, and and obviously not all the points, you know, some of them you sort of go, okay, Chelsea, it's almost like point, point nine, Chelsea be playing with a football you know, some of, it's a bit, some of it's a bit kind of, well, yeah, I'd, I'd hope they would be still playing in blue and be called Chelsea still. But I still sort of appreciate there being some kind of message of what the vision is or what the sort of talking points are. Because as Dom is also saying, we, we, we aren't hearing an awful lot from, from any of the bids, really.
1: It's funny that one, because I've tried to get information on one of the other bids. Out of them, and and they're saying that they're under NDAs.
3: Mm. No
1: one should be talking. Nobody should be saying anything publicly. So I, I, I half wonder whether the sort of resentment that flared up last week about the Ricketts thing around the Paul Cannonville, um talks, but but also around the fact that a lot of a lot of what the Ricketts were having to do was was being played out in public, and there were there were allegations made in some of the media about sort of bias there that you know other other groups you know weren't getting this treatment well it may be that those other groups are actually complying with their ndas i mean that is that is the process we're in it's bizarre i mean it's, it's, it's this is all uncharted territory we've said it throughout it's also a a, a multi billion pound takeover that is is going through in what is actually a, a remarkably short period of time these takeovers usually take years or you know months at least and this is something that is being rushed through effectively and it's and and obviously with the scrutiny that that comes with with sport and and football in particular so it's it's very exceptional circumstances but um maybe we shouldn't be surprised that a lot of the others aren't speaking because they're not supposed to
3: supposed to yeah
2: Last question on the takeover for now, Simon. Has there been any kind of word from the government as to how involved they actually want to be on this? Or or as far as they're concerned, is it you tell us who's buying it, we'll say that's fine, and then you can carry on with it? Yeah, I mean,
3: I, I don't think... Essentially, they have a power of veto, but I don't... Unless something extraordinary emerges, I, I can't see them using it. I, I think it's very much a okay, you guys sort it out, bring it to us. Because, they, because they, want it, they want this sort of off their shoulders as quickly as possible too, because they're obviously having to listen to, to Chelsea's complaints about the sanctions and, and sort of the impact it's having on them. So no, I I, I think it's very much a, once the preferred bidder is announced, um, I'd be surprised if there's any kind of hold up from there on in.
2: All right, well, listener, you know the drill. Uh, the story changes pretty much hourly, so get yourself signed up to The Athletic to stay right up to date with the latest. Just head to the slash chelseapod now, and you'll pay just a pound a month for the first six months. Okay, we can't put it off any longer. Let's talk about Brentford.
0: Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone?
2: Rudiger doesn't get it away, and it's a fourth goal, and it's the first touch for Johan Wisser, who's just come off the bench. And an extraordinary day for Brentford is pretty much complete. They are set to win at Chelsea for only the second time ever. They were lucky enough and clinical enough to have suddenly three goals, very untypical for us, and in general very untypical but uh, we did not defend like it's needed uh, to in, in Premier League and uh, got punished today. Brentford won Chelsea four, apparently so. Uh, the Blues chucking in a total West Brom of a performance at Stamford Bridge is a spectacular second-half collapse. Saw the Bees best of Blues for the first time since 1939. Uh, Simon, you were at Stamford Bridge. You called it on the wireless on Friday night, but did you see the, the second half coming after what had happened in the first?
3: Um, not not so much in the first five ten minutes. You, you could tell that sort of Tuchel must have had a word with them because they they actually showed some intent. And then Rudiger, you know, at the hundredth time of asking, um, scored with an absolute weldy. Um, and you almost wonder whether I mean the the real key to that game and what eventually happened. Not that it was a surprise given the first half, but in light of Chelsea going ahead. I think the real key was the speed of Brentford's equaliser. If if Chelsea had sort of seen it out for five, ten minutes and, and and taken control, then then I think it would have played out as everyone would then have expected. But the fact that Brentford within a few minutes were back on level terms, it just seemed to then turn into an end to end affair. I mean, the second goal that Brentford scored came from from Chelsea's own attack and, and they they'd committed so many men forward. Um, they're just taking the corner, Mason Mount and drills across in and, and ends up with Ziash sort of losing a, a 50-50 and and suddenly Brentford are in. Um, it was it was in so many, it reminded me so much of the West Brom game, not just because of the scoreline and the shock result, but the just sort of one sort of calamitous mistake after another. I was most surprised probably by Tuchel's post-match assessment of the game. Making out Chelsea taken control of it, and he didn't see it coming, and 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 almost making out Brentford were f- were lucky. Um, I think he's given a lot of good press conferences for a number of months, but I, I thought his post match press conferences were were a bit disappointing, bit ungracious. Um, Brentford thoroughly deserved it; they they should have been two or three ahead in the first half. But I I just think it's. In fairness to Tuchel, he was right when he talked about international break. I thought the weather thing was a bit odd. <laughs> he was talking about, oh, it was cold yesterday and it was warm today. I was like, Oh Crikey, well, you've been in England long enough to know that's <laughs> that's a common occurrence. But it's all about Real Madrid. You know, if you were to even if you spoke to Chelsea fans on, on Saturday, what would you prefer what game would you prefer to win? Is Real Madrid. I I think it is an element of Chelsea fairly um confident, although this has put a little bit of a question mark over it, fairly confident of a top four finish, and it's all about what they can do in the Champions League and FA Cup from now on.
2: Okay, so Tuchel not on his usual sparkling form post match. I wonder pre match too, Dom. I, I was surprised when I saw this starting lineup. He had two full backs over thirty. I mean, A playing in a back four, which doesn't seem to see Chelsea particularly well but two fullbacks over 30 plus Thiago Silva 29 year old Tony Rudiger going up against two strikers which is a rare thing two very mobile strikers as well Uh, maybe even there was a case to say that Kepa should have started instead of Edouard Mendy who played 120 minutes and a a penalty shootout in Africa in midweek he had Ruben Loftus-Cheek starting in midfield Uh, and it's easy to say after the event isn't it that he picked the wrong team but but maybe if he had his, his time again he would have changed formation and personnel.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, th- I mean, clearly there was a concern still about Rhys James starting the game. They wanted to ease him back in after the hamstring issue, uh, the latest one, and, and Real Madrid presumably in mind on that one. Um, I do wonder whether, and maybe I'm reading too much into it again, but it was quite interesting to hear him talking about Andreas Christensen and his pre-match on Friday. And it sort of we've heard the rumours too about Barcelona pre-contracts, etc., and Christensen sits on the bench, and you know there was a an obvious player to bring into a back three um, rather than than having a back four with Thiago Silva having having just travelled from around the world, and and you know.
2: Careful what you say here, Dom. His wife might be listening. I know. I was, I was literally about to say. You know, obviously. A,
1: um, I mean, look, it's she made she made the point and actually it is a valid point the fellow is 37 years old and he's come across across the world to do it and okay he may have come back a day early as thomas cookle said on on the friday but even so that's going to leave something in 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 your legs or rather take something out of your legs um going into a game like this and and we know that in a back four even when you've got rudiger's energy alongside you you are slightly more exposed and that's one of the reasons he's been so imperious really at chelsea that he's in a back three, he can just he can just revel. He's got two he's got two more maybe more energetic players around him who can who can do the job. So so quite possibly that yeah, it was a bit of a mishmash of a team. But then it it is I want I want to sort of I want to give him the benefit of the doubt. It is difficult after an international break where your players have have sort of gone through the ringer. So these were England may have played some pretty tedious friendlies in this time, but actually you know the likes of Senegal etc have played very important matches very critical matches that will have taken something out of him so so I agree and maybe there was an argument for Kepper coming in for for Mendy um as as well I mean Mendy didn't have a great he didn't inspire confidence in that first half let alone the second when the goals flew in um and I'm, but then you you look at you know you can counter argument without saying that, that Mendy was the outstanding performer against Brentford at uh at their community stadium earlier in the season, so it's difficult. And with benefit of hindsight, um, you, you can you can pick holes in it absolutely. With his post-match comments, I mean, he's not a good loser, is he? Let's, I mean, no, no elite manager is. But I think on the on the handful of occasions he's actually lost games as Chelsea manager, he's always been fairly ungracious in his post-match comments. I can't really hold that against him, really. I and mean, that's just that's that's the winner in him coming out. And uh, yeah, it's it was. A remarkable capitulation, very similar to the one almost a year to the day previously against West Brom. And, you know, they've just got to hope they've got the powers of recovery that they showed that
2: time as well. Yeah, after that, they beat uh, Porto in the, the quarterfinal of the Champions League pretty convincingly. Um, Simon, did, did this game maybe show us that, that we're getting toward the end times of, of certain Chelsea players' careers? I'm thinking Alonso, Loftus-Cheek, Werner, maybe even N'Golo Kante as well. You're careful, so. <laughs>
3: Told you so. (laughs) Three years ago. Rag it out. (laughs) No. um, The thing is, is is even if any of that's the case, we don't know, because we don't know what the new owners are going to do. Well, you know whether they want to sort of not spend any any money on players and keep the squad. And it's also one thing. It's very easy to say this is the end game, but as we've seen for many season after season. With some of these guys, yeah, it's very, very difficult to off to get rid of them because there's the transfer fee and the wages. That the you know Ruben Loftus Cheek is on one hundred and fifty thousand pounds a week. You know what? What's apart from and and for him, let's be honest, he's not going. He's not if he does get a move, he's not going to be joining a Man City, a Liverpool. The only way is down, both in terms of financially and in terms of chance of winning things. And I'm sure he he wants to stay anyway. And it's he, not been all bad. He, he didn't like, he didn't play well Saturday for sure. But he, he has he has had, I'd say, a more positive season for Chelsea than he certainly had on loan at, at Fulham last season. There have been flashes of of the kind of form that he had um he'd shown pre Achilles. Ngolo Kante can say, Conte say, I wouldn't read too much into Saturday, but that it has been probably overall so far his less effective or least effective season or least consistent season. But Timo Werner...
2: It's not going to happen, is it? We we can say that at this point. It looks a different player when he plays for Germany than he does for Chelsea. But kind of kind of striking for him that, that you've got Armando Breyer having such a good season and, and he looks like he could, can straight in and, and be a, a much better alternative than Werner at the moment.
3: Well, some, I, I noticed a, a Chelsea fan had posted a, um, a, a Werner m- montage of his goals at RB Leipzig. And as each chance popped up, I was picturing him with the same chance in a Chelsea shirt. (laughs) Just thinking, yeah, he'd missed that. He'd missed that. Or he wouldn't even be there for that. (laughs) It's quite sad. It's quite sad because I I just think all his body language is just saying, I can't wait to leave and get out of here. It's not worked. But again, it's it's difficult, you know, like... Yes, there may be an option to go back to Germany, but he's going to have to make a sacrifice financially to make it happen.
2: Uh, Romelu Lukaku, by the way, off the bench for his 50th Chelsea appearance. be interesting to see if he makes it to 100. Uh, well, there's no time for the Blues to dwell on that defeat for Real Madrid come to town on Wednesday, and we'll look ahead to that after this. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' Small Town Welsh Football Club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League One? is Welcome to Wrexham premieres May 2nd on FX. Stream on Hulu. The Champions League returns to Stamford Bridge on Wednesday night as the team, synonymous with the trophy with the big ears, visit West London for the second season in succession. Real Madrid come to town for the first leg of the quarter final. Joining us now to fill us in on the Real Class of 2022 is Alvaro Romeo from Talksport International and the Totally Football Show European Edition. Uh, Alvaro, what, what kind of shape did Real arrive in? Because they had that magnificent turnaround against PSG in the last 16, but since then, thumped by Barcelona and only just about squeeze past Celta Vigo thanks to a pair of Benzema penalties.
4: Yeah, exactly. I think that uh, numerically, uh, there is very little to discuss, uh, to dispute. I mean, Real Madrid is topping the table in La Liga. Real Madrid is or did top their Champions League group and Real Madrid beat PSG. And they've got 69 points in La Liga after 30 games. Uh, With those numbers, uh, they could be challenging for the title in England too. And there is an understanding in England, I believe, that the the title race is very spectacular and that Liverpool and Manchester City are getting to unreachable heights for the rest of the teams, right? So Real Madrid have pretty much the same numbers in Spain, so the season is indisputable, so far they've been very good, but if you scratch the surface a little bit, you will see that lately, Real Madrid, and I will say that in 2022, um, they have had flows here and there, they haven't been perfect, they lost the Clásico against Barcelona 4-0, that was a very big warning, Uh, the other day against Delta, they couldn't beat them comfortably, they needed two penalties from Benzema, and a little bit of help from the referee, maybe, just a little bit, I I wouldn't like to, like to go there very much but uh, generally speaking Real Madrid numerically they've been fantastic but then the latest performances make me think that this is not a good moment for Carlo Ancelotti's men.
2: So they're pretty comfortable as you say in La Liga does that mean there's less pressure on the Champions League or is that just not a thing when it comes to Real Madrid and Florentino Perez?
4: (laughs) It's not a thing when it comes to Real Madrid. Uh, I believe that the pressure is still there, uh, but at the same time, Real Madrid knows how to negotiate that pressure. So from the spirit point of view, I think that uh, Real Madrid is going to respond. But uh, I would say that uh, there is uh, there is a need to go through in the Champions League, especially after having been defeated so heavily against Barcelona in the Clásico. Real Madrid needs to make a statement. Everyone is waiting for that. And playing against Chelsea is a good opportunity to do that. You
2: think Carlo Ancelotti has to win the Champions League this season to keep his job? Even (laughs) even if he won the league, would that be enough?
4: well, I believe that uh, not this season, not this season. If Real Madrid wins the league, it's going to be kind of fine. But uh, on the other hand, uh, Florentino Perez, the president, doesn't forget uh, performances like uh, what happened at the end of March when Real Madrid lost the Clásico 4-0. Uh, I think that Ancelotti has done a good job, um, if you ask me, uh, considering uh, the circumstances, considering that Real Madrid has a shorter squad than they did have in 2014 when he was the Real Madrid manager and he led them to win La. I think that has done a decent job, but there are some uh, clouds in the horizon as well. I believe that uh, he hasn't been using a lot of players. Um, basically, he hasn't uh, been able to convert the Real Madrid 25-man squad into a 25-man squad because he's only using 16 or 17 players. And, you know, there are some recurring issues going there that uh, I think that they don't have any solution. And we all expected Carlo Ancelotti to find the solution for them. Like, for example, what to do with Gareth Bale or how to deal with Eden Hattard or uh, maybe how to get the best of Marcelo for one more season. Zidane wasn't able to do that and Carlo Ancelotti hasn't been able to do that either. Uh,
1: Carlo was very, very popular when he was Chelsea manager Ten years ago, um, I just wondered, first of all, whether Real Madrid supporters were surprised when he came back to the club. Um, not least because he he'd been at Everton of all places, and and it you know that's that's felt like his career was going one way, and then suddenly he's at Real Madrid. And also, will he actually be at Stamford Bridge? Given that he he did he miss the weekend because of COVID nineteen.
4: Uh, that's still to be seen. Uh, if Carlo Ancelotti will be there. And uh, back to the other thing, uh, I believe that Carlo Ancelotti was a kind of a surprising uh, choice by by Real Madrid. I believe that. Uh, but the thing is that everything around Real Madrid has been surprising in the last uh, 12 months because uh, nobody expected Zinedine incident to leave either. And after he announced his departure, Real Madrid uh, had to find the manager very quickly. Antonio Conte at the time wasn't available. It's very unlikely that Jose Mourinho will be considered for Real Madrid again. And then uh, Carlo Ancelotti was one of the options that was there. Uh, at the end of the day, he didn't leave a bitter taste at Real Madrid. He didn't burn any bridge with Florentino Perez, which is very important because Florentino um, rates the personal relationship he has with the managers as well and suddenly he became available and he is a manager that has gotten success everywhere he has been and uh, Florentino said okay maybe this is a very good option for me maybe not for the future or maybe not to have a big project around him for many years but as a transitional option Carlo Ancelotti is probably the best one I've got.
3: Hi Avar. A few questions for me. Um, Firstly how much is sort of revenge on everyone's mind in Real Madrid, you know, given what you know happened in the semi final between these two clubs? Secondly, I, I suppose we should sort of talk about Chelsea's uh Belgians, as it were, mm-hmm. um former players, of course, Thibaut Courtois, how's he been playing? And of course we we are not expecting to see Eden Hazard, can you just sort of explain uh why that is the case?
4: Yes, of course. Uh number one I think that that narrative of uh, getting the revenge against Chelsea hasn't been uh, pushed yet, that's for sure. Because there are so many things happening around Real Madrid that uh, one narrative um, kills the the other one one day after another. So uh, there are so many narratives and layers and things that they speak about. For example, a week ago, they were talking about Gareth Bale, a very polarising figure at Madrid. This week, they are talking about Celta and how the referees uh, or the penalties that the referee gave uh, gave them a win and you know the narrative about getting the revenge against Chelsea may be pushed or not, even though I think that it is a little bit too late. I think that last season there was an understanding that Chelsea was better than Real Madrid. And that's why there is not this feeling of we need to get a revenge. That happens when you feel that you didn't deserve to win it, when you feel that the referee didn't help you. It wasn't the case last year. And when it comes to the Belgians, well, Thibaut Courtois is the best goalkeeper in Spain and probably one of the best goalkeepers in the world, if not the best goalkeeper in the world. He's pivotal for Real Madrid. Him and Benzema are keeping Real Madrid alive in every competition and Thibaut Courtois has been sensational. He's been doing every type of saves and there is always a safe, a key safe, in every Real Madrid game. So I think that Thibaut Courtois is very rated at Real Madrid, even though he got a slow start. Well, now there is this understanding that without him, Real Madrid wouldn't be where they are. And when it comes to Eden Hazard, it's very simple. Mm, during his first year at Real Madrid, he picked a nasty injury, uh, Menier, a teammate of his, of uh, Eden Hazard, just... Uh, did a challenge on him, intentional or not, that kept Eden Hazard out from the pitch for a while. Uh, He never recovered fully from that. Uh, He needed to have a titanium plaque in his ankle uh, due to that injury. And um, a couple of weeks ago, that titanium plaque wasn't removed and Eden Hazard is going to miss the remainder of the season.
2: That's really sad, isn't it? It's sad to see the way that Mm. it's turned out for him, definitely. Uh, Before we let you go, Alvaro, give us a prediction. Who's going to go through?
4: I think that Chelsea's favorite for this game Uh, I'm not going to commit myself for the tie I'm sorry but uh, I think that the Spanish (laughs) clubs normally suffer a lot in Stamford Bridge Uh, last season Chelsea knocked out Real Madrid and Atletico Uh, that should not be forgotten with a very similar squad to this one, same manager and I think that Chelsea is the favourite for this game because Real Madrid relies a lot on uh, Benzema, Vinicius and Modric and the connections that they create between them and I think that Chelsea is capable of um, unplugging those connections and uh, imposing
2: in their style. Let's hope so, Alvaro. Thanks for your time. We'll speak to you soon. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. You can follow Alvaro on Twitter at Alvaro underscore Romeo. That's Rome with an O on the end. Uh, Chelsea wise, Simon. Saturday's debacle not going to have that much impact on team selection for this game. I guess the big one is whether Reece James starts or not.
3: Yeah, and and you sort of you sort of uh, it, it suspect that Saturday's selection was very much with. Wednesday in mind anyway. As much as Tuchel denied it, that oh Brentford was the only thing on his mind. Um, you know the fact that Kovacic and Jorginho, for example, weren't involved. You'd expect at least one of them to to come back. Um, I'd be surprised if the front three isn't pretty much the same though. Maybe Pulisic in, in, instead of one of Ziyech uh, Well, perhaps Ziyech I can't see Mount being dropped. Famous last words there. Um, and I'd also expect the return to the back three. Um, I, I can't see how this this back four... Has it only ever worked against Spurs? I was trying to figure it out on Saturday. And 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 if that is the case, does that count? <laughs>
2: <laughs> 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 um, Dominic, in, in a, an age of no away goals, what, what's a good result when you play at home first?
1: Winning. I mean, yeah, yeah. They just need to win. They need to win. I mean, they they need to go to to the Bernabeo with an advantage. Whether it doesn't matter whether it's slim or, or or emphatic, whatever. They just I mean, just 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 win this game. And I think after Saturday as well, and uh, that will just help stabilize things again um, and pep the confidence. You know, what what you know, inevitably has been quite an unsettling time for all. The results have been pretty impressive prior to the international break they you know this this would just calm everybody down um, at, a, at, a, at a time of upheaval at the club so just win the game
2: And of course Simon it will feel like a proper Champions League night because there will be supporters in attendance which at one stage wasn't going to be the case Yeah we sort of would
3: have had concerns about a, a feeling of a year ago in the, the Champions League run um, I mean I was at the the Atletico Madrid game, for example, in the last sixteen, and and when the f- it was just surreal sitting in an empty ground with this sort of huge Champions League game. Um, I'm really looking forward to well both legs, Chelsea Real Madrid, of course, which was played by closed doors in the semi final last year too. At games like this, this is what this is what you know. Football fans and and journalists, you know, all journalists want to be at games like this. This is this is like a real proper occasion, and if you're Thomas Tuchel you don't really need to say that much. I don't think Um, I touched on a piece that I wrote today. There isn't much that he needs to say post Brentford. Yes, I'm sure he's going to go through the video, the mistakes that were made, but when you're facing Real Madrid, I don't think you need to, as he himself was quoted, give crazy team talks, crazy speeches. The game itself will be a motivation to instantly put Brentford to the back of their minds and, and get themselves motivated. And, you know, we we shouldn't go overboard on the Brentford defeat because, as Don flagged, the, the results beforehand they were starting to build a really impressive momentum before the international break. That doesn't just suddenly disappear after one bad
2: performance. Uh, eight o'clock kickoff on Wednesday night for that one. We will, of course, react to it in Thursday's pod. Elsewhere in Chelsea news Chelsea took on Reading on Sunday night at Kings Meadow that after Emma Hayes had put a foot in it by tweeting that the game was called off on April Fool's Day Uh, turned out to be a Blues cruise under the lights Chelsea recorded a 5-0 win thanks to braces from Beth England and Sam Kerr with Jesse Fleming also chipping in Arsenal also won 5-0 away to Leicester meaning the Blues continue to lead the Gunners by a point at the top of the WSL Chelsea's goal difference better by 5 which could be crucial with just 4 league games left the Blues next in action on the 17th of April when they face Arsenal in the FA Cup semi-final. Uh, the under-23s, meanwhile, picked up what could be a crucial point in their battle to avoid relegation from PL2. On Saturday, they trailed Liverpool by two goals to nil at half-time before Joe Hay won one back just before the hour and Jude soon Bell levelled in stoppage time. However, the Young Blues are in the relegation zone and have just five games left to save themselves, the first of which is away to Manchester United on Friday. Meanwhile, the under-18s take on Nottingham Forest in the semi-final of the FA Youth Cup tonight. As we record, that's Monday. We'll let you know how they get on on Thursday's show. That'll just about do it for today, though. Before we go, let's hear what the chaps have lined up for Athletic subscribers to enjoy. Um, Simon, take over. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, and it's, it's, a, it's another big week
3: um, because the, the four bidders are all getting to meet with the club may have may have said that earlier. I can't remember. Um, my memory's gone in all this process. Uh, what? Who are the bidders? What's all this about again? Um, but yeah, it is a big week, so inevitably we've got to keep a, keep a look at what's going on. Um, and yeah, you know, I'm lucky enough to unlike yourself, um, Matt, I will be going to Chelsea Real Madrid, Um, so I'll obviously be covering that game with um, great enthusiasm.
2: Uh, Don, what's on your agenda this week?
3: Uh, I'm going to
1: Southampton on Saturday um, with for the for the Chelsea game. I am actually our listeners should to keep an eye out for what Liam is is writing ahead of the Real Madrid game. His his misty trip at the at the weekend hopefully will be all will be revealed as as to what he was up to. Um, and I suspect I'll just be keeping tabs on. Yeah, the the bidding process and whatever, wherever that's going to lead us this week. um, Yeah, everything feels a bit up in the air at the moment. We're trying to balance the football and uh, all the stuff that's happening in the boardroom as well.
2: Certainly does. But as I said earlier, listener, the best place to keep right up to date with it is on The Athletic. Just head to theathletic.com slash Chelsea pod now to sign up. It's only a pound a month for your first six months. Uh, we'll be back on Thursday when we'll react to those midweek matches for the first team and the under 18s. We'll look ahead to Southampton on Saturday too. Do join us for that. If you can for now though, from all of us here, it's Goodbye. The Athletic.